The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you know I always promise you're in the right place because it's always true. So the buzz today is what's cooking? Let's find out. I'll give you a little hint. Think about secret sauce and great recipes. No, it's not a cooking show. Let me explain. Successful organizations today are outperforming their competition by better using data. No, I didn't say using better data. They're better using data to inform workforce and business decisions. That's right. Workforce and business decisions in the same part of the sentence. There's a clue there. But despite these positive results, HR's adoption of analytics is still the exception. Most companies, and I bet those of you listening out there around the world, your company might not be up to speed yet. That's what we're talking about. Why? Well, the majority of companies either have not invested in what we're going to call human analytics, human capital analytics, or they've already made the investment, but they haven't fully realized the benefit of what they put into it, the time, the ramp up, the money, the training, all that good stuff. So if your company is among the laggards, we'll be kind. We'll just say those who haven't yet come up to speed. How can your HR department, your team, your CHRO, accelerate the transformation to add what we're going to call sustainable data-based workforce decision-making to your business culture. Very, very important point here. So the experts speak. I've got a panel of three. I think somebody's running water there in the background. We have a panel of three experts who are prepared to talk to us and share their insights, their knowledge, and their energy. I'll just tell you who's on the panel, and then we'll start. First up, I'm going to be speaking with Jordan Petman, P-E-T-T-M-A-N, if you want to look him up. He's with Nestle, Global Head of HR Data and Analytics, and we're going to welcome Jordan in just a moment. Joining us is a good friend of Game Changers Radio, way too long since she's been on with us. It's Greta Roberts, Tan- Talent Analytics Corp., and she's the CEO and co-founder. And Greta's been on several times, so we're delighted to have her back. And rounding out the panel is another returning thought leader. It's Mick Collins, SAP Success Factors. He's a Vice President of Workforce Analytics and Planning. So let me turn to Jordan Petman now. And Jordan sent me a very interesting quote from Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. Let me just read a little background here. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was the original title. It's an 1865 novel written by English mathematician. I did know that. Charles Lutwidge Dodgson, under the pseudonym Lewis Carroll, tells of a girl named Alice falling through a rabbit hole into a fantasy world populated by peculiar anthropomorphic creatures. We'll just leave it at there. Here is the quote Jordan has selected. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Jordan Petman, how are you? I'm very well. How are you, Bonnie? 
Fine. So talk to me. Where are you? Are you in uh, Switzerland today, did I hear? I am. I am in Switzerland. I'm at the Nestle head office in, in Vevey. She's uh, well, right I, on the lake, uh, right on the edge of the lake. Okay. I think of, when I think of Nestle, I think of chocolate, I think of Switzerland. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, that, 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 that's largely us. I think we think of ourselves <laughs> as a, uh, a health and well-being business, but yeah, I'm, I'm down with the chocolate too. <laughs> Thank you very much. So tell me, while you're having that delicious chocolate, I did start out with opening saying what's cooking and, and recipes and magic sauce, so I think we're on the right track here. Jordan, I love the quote, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Are you a big fan of Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll? And tell me, how does that quote relate to our topic? Because we're talking about why more companies, more HR organizations are not using talent analytics. So what's going on? How does the quote apply? Sure. Well, I guess I, I first came across the quote, actually not uh, from reading the book, um, but actually in a, in a workshop that uh, a lady that I used to work for ran. Um, and it just sort of struck a chord with me because I think oftentimes we set out to do things in, in HR analytics, almost for analytics sake. And we can sometimes get caught up in doing the latest and the greatest and the most whiz-bang with the technology and the most complex of the statistical models. Um, and that's really, really interesting. But if we're not traveling down a statistical or an analytical route for a business reason, at the end of the day, it's just analytics for analytics sake. And I think that this quote kind of sums up that uh, raison d'etre for HR analytics, which is, to support the business. You know, if, if we've not got an endpoint inside, if we're not trying to support the business to achieve an outcome, then any which road can take us there. And it could be any kind of statistical model, any kind of reporting, any kind of technology. And I think having that really clear picture really helps to crystallize what it is that we're trying to do in HR analytics and really giving us you know, that, that proverbial seat at the table. So it's a, Thank- I, I really like that that, that, that quote because it sums up what I try to do. It, it really does and thank you. And and is any are we going to be able to leave today, you and, and Greta and Mick, are we going to be able to leave the breadcrumbs to help them find their way? Do you think, Jordan? Oh, I don't know if I'm as good as Hansel and Gretel, but I'll try. <laughs> I'm, the food theme is just overwhelming me. I just had lunch, so I apologize. <laughs> Jordan Petman, such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Looking forward to more from you. And now let's bring on Greta Roberts. I gave you a big send-up here, Greta. It's been too long. Greta is the CEO and co-founder of Talent Analytics Corp. She's based in Cambridge, Mass., where I used to hail from. Lived there for a couple of years. Good, te- good place. And Greta has selected a quote from Charles Babbage. We have another very erudite source here, Charles Charles Babbage lived from 1791 to 1871. He was an English polymath. Now, let me tell you what that is. A mathematician, a philosopher, an inventor, and a mechanical engineer. And along with Ada Lovelace, he's best remembered for, wait for it, originating the concept of a programmable computer. He's considered by some to be the father of the computer. Very, very interesting. And uh, some of his uncompleted mechanisms are on display at the Science Museum in London when you're there, stop off and take a peek. Here is the quote Greta has selected from Mr. Babbage. Errors using inadequate data are much less than those using no data at all. Aha, Greta Roberts, how are you today? I'm well, thank you, and it's nice to be back. It has been too long. It certainly has. Greta, how's life up in the Cambridge area? 
Cambridge is great, and I don't think I knew that you lived in Cambridge for a while, um, so great to know you were there, but it's beautiful, great time of year. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yes, a couple of years in the late 70s, owned a house at North Cambridge. I was attending BU. My husband at the time was attending Harvard Architecture, and my little boy was in Radcliffe Daycare. I think that says it all, okay? So, Greta, talk to me about this wonderful quote. I did not know that Babbage was considered the face or the father of the early computer. But how does this, this quote, errors using inadequate data are much less than those using no data at all. Does that mean little bit is better than nothing in the world of talent analytics? It kind of does. I think, you know, in terms of, you know, how can you be the whole, you know, the whole concept of the show today is what does it take to make workforce analytics into a competitive differentiator? I think a lot of times we see customers or, you know, people, businesses that we talk to that they're afraid. Um, I'm afraid of starting because my data isn't pure. It's not perfect. It's not all housed in like a centralized data lake. Um, Maybe it's coming from different sources. Um, and so I just feel people, you know, are they using it for an excuse? Maybe, but I think there's a lot of fear until you're, you know, that until your data is perfect, um, you can't begin. And so, you know, if you think about a lot of the um, decisions that are made today, it's based on intuition. And so just beginning to add some data in there, I, I guess I just wanted to encourage people to begin. Very interesting. I just want to ask you a question. I'm looking at a quote here. I don't know who it's from, but the the uh, thought is a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. And uh, so I guess we're going we're going the other way. We're saying a little bit of data is better than absolutely nothing. Greta, in, in your worldview from where you sit, and I know you travel all over the world, you speak, you keynote, you write. Uh, do you find, according going back to my opening, are most of the companies you come across, and you could say whether they're the large ones or the, the startups, the midsize, the SMEs, are they not aware of talent analytics, of human capital analytics, of workforce analytics? Is this something that's a, an unknown concept, or are they just... Eh, we're not ready, it's too complicated, it's too expensive. What do you see? Um, I think there, I think part of it is uh, what you said, which is defining kind of what is it. What is workforce analytics? I mean, it can be, it's not like product, let's say, right? You could say, oh, that's the thing. And so I think part of it, since it's a little earlier, is in the definition stage. You know, what is it? I think everybody realizes there's probably... Um, there's a lot of, let's say, uh, reporting that's being done in HR today. So there's typically a lot of reporting historically that people have been focused on, like, you know, what's our headcount or how many people left this quarter or this month or that sort of thing. So that's kind of, you know, the reporting that's happening. And so the question is, how do you go and move beyond reporting and begin to do things that actually you can, you know, generate some ROI from that? So I think people are generally aware that it has to do with data, um, a lot of people are taking maybe the um, the reporting that they're doing right now, and almost everybody, large or small to medium-sized business or anybody, are, are, are doing that standard reporting today. So it's really kind of going beyond that and saying, you know, what can we do um, that's beyond that standardized reporting and defining it for, you know, what they need to do. Thank you, Greta. And again, welcome back. And let's move on to our third panelist. It's Mick Collins at SAP Success Factors. And I think Mick is in France on vacation. Are we, are we disturbing you, Mick? Or are you going to, um, thank you so much for taking the time. How's everything in France and what are you doing there? Well, France is wonderful. It is uh, very warm. It's uh, well above 90 degrees here. But uh, yeah, I brought my family across from the U.S. to, uh, to spend some time with my siblings and my dad. So we're renting a house in the south of France, just north of Béziers, 
and having a week here of uh, kayaking and walking and swimming and just really enjoying the life. I think we're going to stop the show right now and take a quick plane over and join you. That sounds one. We could talk about workforce later. Mick, that sounds delightful. And thank you. I was teasing. Thank you so much for making time on your vacation to join us. We really appreciate it. So now let me say that Mick has sent me a quote from Louis Pasteur, and that name means a lot to me, Mick, because I went to Louis Pasteur Junior High School 67 in Little Neck, New York, way back in another century. And I don't know why they decided to name a junior high school. Today they're called middle schools. But it was called a junior high school in those days. It was grade 7, 8, and 9 in U.S. educational parlance. So here is a little bit about Louis Pasteur, 1822 to 1895. He was a French chemist and microbiologist renowned for his discoveries of the principles of vaccination. Yes, microbial fermentation. And here's the biggie, pasteurization. He invented a technique for treating milk and wine to stop bacterial contamination. That's what the process is is that we call pasteurization. He was also one of the three main founders of bacteriology, and he was considered as the father of microbiology. Very interesting guy. Here's the quote Mick has selected. Never advance anything that cannot be proved in a simple and decisive fashion. Mick, tell me, how does this quote relate to our topic today? Very interesting perspective. I think it relates in a couple of different ways. I think firstly, when the speech was given in which the quote was provided, it was really a call to action to other scientists that breakthroughs could be made if scientists followed the scientific process and used the rigor and the tools they had access to back in 1888 to solve some of the greatest problems facing humanity at the time. And I think without maybe overstating, that's where we are in many cases with human resources and talent management today. There is a call to action. Uh, as Greta talked about, there are a lot of organizations that are interested and excited about analytics, but perhaps are not there yet, or whether they're scared or not, um, are not necessarily making the breakthroughs that they themselves want to be able to see. But there is a process now. There is more data available today than, than ever before. Uh, and it really is the opportunity for leaders in HR to, to take the bully pulpit, if you will, and, and have that call to action to their peers and say, now is the time that we make sure that analytics becomes a core competency us, not just a separate side project. Okay, Mick, thank you. And I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Greta. Are, are they are most companies that you come across, are they hiding? Are they waiting for something to happen, like finding out that a major competitor is using workforce analytics to their advantage and, and this company is falling behind in the competitive world? Why aren't they why, – why is this show – Necessary. Why is this topic necessary for us to talk about it? Because if everybody was on board, we might be talking today about how to super use talent analytics. We might be talking about ways to hone them and tweak them and use them for advanced insights. But we're talking today about, well, it's your competitive secret sauce. That's our title today. Why aren't they using them at all or enough? So what's your thought on why they're not on board? I still think it's an incredibly difficult area for HR to... Adopt. I think in many cases, when leaders see the results of data or inquiries into to workforce analytics, they're looking for proof. They're looking for the certainty, the, the causal factors that if we change this about the way in which we do business, we will see a specific result from that change. And in many cases, that's not likely to happen. If we can just get to correlation, let alone causation, we've made a huge, huge step forward. We also know that we're dealing with people. This is not about making cars or building widgets or moving airplanes around. It's impossible often just to make decisions that 
uh, taking into account people's feelings and their emotions. And sometimes we're reluctant to use the data for what might be uh, an unfortunate or a negative outcome. So I think HR is being held to a very, very high standard, given the fact we're dealing with very messy data, with people's emotions. Uh, and the reality is that we're not rarely ever going to be able to provide the level of certainty or 100% proof the kinds of which that Louis Pasteur wanted to see when they were talking about fermentation and pasteurization. So um, I think we have to accept we're in an imperfect world, but we can still make progress. You certainly did a nice slick tie-up there to Louis Pasteur. I appreciate that very, very, very much, Mick. That was very classy. I liked it. So let's circle back. Let's give you a break for a second. And Jordan Petman, I'm going to circle back to you and ask you, this is a little part of the show, our storytelling segment called What's in Your Cup Today? Because all of our shows are part of our flagship that is called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I'd love to know, what are you drinking? And Jordan, what time is it right now in Switzerland? What's your, yeah. It, it, it's 20 past 8 in the evening, so uh, I guess working for Nestle, I should say that I'm having a cup of Nespresso or something, but I won't <laughs> lie to you. Um, I'm currently enjoying a glass of Barolo, which is my favorite red from the Piedmont region of Italy. Oh, very interesting. Now tell me, is red over there, are you drinking it at room temperature? Do you have it a little chill? What's the style you like for that? It's, I learned recently that you're supposed to drink it at European winter room temperature, um, but I'm currently drink, drinking it at European summer room temperature. Either way, it tastes <laughs> delicious, and that's the main thing, right? That is, that's the only thing. That's the only thing that matters, Jordan. Absolutely. Very, very well put. And, and who knows? Maybe it's been pasteurized, according to what I read about Louis Pasteur, his, uh, his research say? and, his processes help to keep bacteria out of wine, so that's a good thing, too. That's why it tastes so good. Thank you, Jordan. 8 o'clock at night, we appreciate you joining us. Greta Roberts, you're in Cambridge here in the northeast of the U.S. like I am, and I know here it's a beautiful, hot, very, very hot day here in New York. So what are you drinking to keep cool, or do you like a hot drink, Greta? I do like a hot drink, and um, always like to look for new things and decided recently to try to cut down on my caffeine consumption. So looked for something interesting other than just decaf coffee or decaf tea, and I found this thing called Cafix, C-A-F-I-X. Um, yeah. It's 100% caffeine-free, and it's uh, very tasty, and it's made from roasted barley, rye, chicory, and sugar beets. And it's these instant crystals, and um, you just add them to hot water, and it's really delicious. And no, uh, no caffeine, so there's something uh, you can try. Very interesting. Cafix, C-A-F-I-X. Never heard of yep. that. Very, very interesting. I'll it's have to take a look. Similar to, yeah, very similar to coffee, 100% caffeine-free. Just has a tiny bit of a sweet taste to it, but yeah, just kind of different. Very interesting. Thank you. Always learning something new. And Mick Collins over there on your vacation in France, what are you drinking? Well, as you can imagine, I do have a glass of French red here. It's from a local winery called St. Martin, which I hope to go and see tomorrow. Uh, it's a little blend of Syrah and Grenache, so uh, very tasty. Ooh, I like that. Uh, you know, Grenache, I haven't heard that word in so long. Is that a grape or is that a uh, Grenache? Why is that coming back to haunt me here, Mick? Where does Grenache come from? Is it a drink on its own or just a grape? It's a- it, it, um, it, it often tends to be blended. I, believe, I actually do believe it is a grape, um, but it, I see it in a lot of blends uh, as the case here. 
I think so. I just looked it up. Grenache or Garnacha is one of the most widely planted red wine grape varieties in the world. It ripens late, so it needs hot, dry conditions like those found in Spain, where it most likely originated. And the origin is Spain, dry, semi-sweet or sweet wine, red wine. Thank you very much. I knew it came from somewhere, Mick. I'm going to give my panel a chance to sip something that makes them feel good because we have a lot more to talk about here. You're listening to Changing the Game with HR Radio, presented by SAP. Our topic today is workforce analytics your competitive secret sauce see that's where the cooking came in we've talked about chocolate and wine and caffix and all kinds of good things here by the way i'm drinking water they don't let me have caffeinated beverages on radio show days and this is a two show day so even more water for me i have to do a shout out to dr patricia fletcher at sap known to us as patty fletcher who is the sponsor of this series and i have to do a shout out to somebody on her team i'm going to pull up his name in just a second it's chorus who has put together this wonderful panel. Kouros, thank you very much and we just want to make sure you know we appreciate your putting together a great topic and a great panel. So, I'm Bonnie D. Graham and we will be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP Success Factors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change, all to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. Listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. And we are here and we are changing the game with HR Radio. We're talking today about a very important concept, a topic, technology, workforce analytics, talent analytics, human capital analytics. It is time. And the answer is why? It's a competitive secret sauce. If you're not using it, your competitors or new players in your space may, and you will not be where you need to be in terms of the right people in the right jobs at the right time. I hope they summar- I summarized that well. I've got three gurus here on the this topic, Jordan Petman at Nestle, Greta Roberts at Talent Analytics, and Mick Collins at SAP Success Factors. We're going to kick off the roundtable now. Even though we kind of did before the break, we're going to start it in earnest. So Jordan Petman at Nestle sent me a very long list, an interesting list of topics here. We picked one during the break where we're going to start. So here's what Jordan told me. Organizations struggle 
to create meaningful HR analytics because there's a breakdown in understanding, now listen to this, the inherent link between the process stuff and the data stuff we believe ourselves to not be good at. That's a pack statement. Jordan, why don't you unpack it for us? Take two minutes and then we'll invite Greta and Mick to chime in with their POV. Go ahead. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. So I, I guess um, thinking about that statement in, in all of its glory, um, I guess across my career, I've had the opportunity to work with a bunch of really very skilled, very senior HR process people who really know the insides and outs of things like talent acquisition and talent management and performance management and succession planning and all of that. And I think the, the challenge that I often face both as a consultant and in-house is helping those people to, to understand the, the way that the processes that they design and the way that they manage the, the things like talent acquisition and talent management um, drops all the way down to creating pieces of data inside of whatever HR system we've implemented to support those processes and how those pieces of data then roll up through things like operational reporting, through things like standardized metrics and dashboards into, into topic-focused analytics and then into really exciting things like strategic resource planning and into predictive analytics and so forth. And I think we really struggle sometimes to make that leap from being able to run really beautiful processes to really measuring the impact of those processes and using that measurement to decide how we might want to change them because we just don't understand as HR folk how the processes that we design falls out into the data that underlies it. And I think that that's a, a really future-focused skill set that we as HR folk can develop is, is understanding that as we design this selection and recruitment process, that we're actually creating points of data along the way that isn't just going to tell us how many days it took to fill that position. It could also tell us things about where we've sourced the most successful uh, candidates in our recruitment process. It could mm. tell us where we've found people that uh, their teams might like the most and so on by connecting the data points that fall out of all of our processes in, a, in an analytics way. So I think there's a, a real development opportunity there for us as HR professionals. Thank you very much. Very insightful. Greta Roberts, I know you're also a guru in this space. Agree or disagree with what Jordan introduced? And tell us anything you want to add to that, please. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a really lovely point, Jordan. And I think that even if you look at the way that HR is set up, a lot of, you know, I might own, let's say, as a recruiter or sourcing or something, you kind of own that process and you get very used to, the process and your your job was to be to really optimize the process and you were kind of measured on optimizing the process you know let's change it or reduce it from 25 days to hire to 23 days to hire and that was really the measure of success Um, like a lot of systems that are out there the data that is developed or generated during these processes is turning out to be more important than the processes themselves And so I think not only just in HR, but in marketing, with customers, with, you know, all sorts of other human data sets, um, 
it's the data that is developed automatically along the way um, that is the most important thing. So I think it is a mind shift for people to realize the process is great, but if we could track and go back and look, um, what is that telling us and how does that actually tie to, you know, not only HR performance, but ideally to, you know, business performance like did this really help us make a better selection so now we're, you know, our sales reps are selling more? Take it all the way out to the actual um, end business result. So, yeah, I think it's a great point. Thank you, Greta. And let's turn to Mick Collins. Mick, thoughts, please. Join us. Yeah, it's interesting when Jordan talked about processes because in many cases we talk about workforce analytics, but much of the analytics that gets done has little to no meaning for the current workforce. And by that, I mean we focus often on external recruiting, which is a highly visible uh, activity. We see a lot of data around time to fill, as Greta mentioned, or cost per hire, for example. And then on the flip side, there's a lot of analytics around turnover for the employees that have left the organization. Mm-hmm. I think in many cases, HR goes towards processes that are standardized, uh, that are fairly easy to understand. And what's missing for me in many cases is, is this big black hole in the middle for the current workforce how are they being developed? How are they learning? How are they moving through the organization? There's a, a black hole, if you will, of data when it comes to career pathing that I think we're missing out on. In, in many cases, HR goes for the, the low-hanging fruit, the external recruitment process, the post-exit uh, uh, activities or the effective turnover and uh, is missing this big, difficult process in the middle that can really, I think, become a competitive advantage in terms of developing and moving employees that we currently have. Thank you, Mick. I'm going to circle back to Jordan Petman very briefly. Jordan, your panelists, your co-panelists shared some interesting insights and thoughts on what you introduced. Anything you want to talk about to wrap this up before I move on? Yeah, I think it, it, I think the, the interesting point that Mick makes in, in particular is around those processes that happen in what a lot of uh, companies now are calling talent analytics, which is that stuff around now, how we understand a probabilistic career path through the organization and decide whether that's the right career path or whether we want to change it. There's so much data there that we have such an opportunity to get into and understand if only we were willing to take the, the step away from our processes to understand the data that, that we create. Uh, I think it's a really exciting opportunity for us right now. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench in here, and I'm just going to come up with a statement for the whole panel. I'm just going to run through this quickly, and we'll do Jordan and then Greta and Mick and ask for your input. I'm thinking on so many shows we've done here on Game Changers over the past almost, Greta, it's been almost five years since I created the first Game Changers. Hard to believe, wow. isn't it? I know, wow. and thousands of guests, and, and I, I don't know, maybe a thousand shows, and we've got hundreds of thousands of listeners all over the world, which is very gratifying. But I, it has been brought to my attention so many times, and I address this to the full panel, that we now have five generations side by side in the workforce. They have different backgrounds, different needs, different learning styles, different types of resumes, different approaches to an interview, different work styles, different needs in terms of the hours and the days and what kinds of devices they want, what they expect a company to provide. Should it be a consumer-like, very digital experience when they go to work? Should they work at home? Should they commute, telecommute? All those things. How is this impacting 
the what needs to happen in the actual workforce analytics software in the technology if the workforce it ain't today it ain't your grandpa's workforce excuse me or or even your aunts or your uncles or your moms or your dads or maybe even your older brothers or sisters everything has changed in terms of who the peep the pool of people coming into the workforce and what they need so let me just start with jordan let's talk about demographics a little bit if you don't mind my taking us off the track here for a moment or maybe i'm not taking us off the track Jordan, what's your perspective on how talent analytics needs to uh, needs to be? Does it need to be flexible to flow to be updated every six months as new people enter the workforce? How does it how does it uh, change the processes for the people, or does it? Sure. So I guess my overall viewpoint on the generational discussion is really that we're all people, um, mm-hmm. and I think I, I quite readily identify myself as a millennial nowadays. I just Great in, um, which uh, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but in the old school, I would identify with, uh, with, with Generation X. And so I think broadly, the generations is less around how those people um, want something specific. And I think it's more about leaders trying to understand how to best engage with the people that they work with. In terms of analytics, though, and the data that, that these new generations who are digital natives bring uh, to organizations, things like the way that the Internet of Things is going to impact on the way that we have data to analyze, the, the way that people's constant ability to connect to HR systems means that the wealth of analytics that we can do and the way that we can understand the employee in really a 360 degree view because you know, we're far more likely to have access to people's Twitter accounts and to people's LinkedIn as well as mm-hmm. their employee data. The analytics that we can do is so powerful and so able to be tailored to the individual that I think the new generations coming through our organizations will really, you know, kickstart the sorts of analytics that we're able to do and push us along the maturity curve. Thank you. Pushing along the maturity curve. That's an interesting observation. I like the way it sounds. Greta Roberts, your thoughts on demographics and workforce analytics? Well, I think there's a lot of noise being spent and made um, about demographics, generations, lots of talk about millennials. And, you know, let's fast forward 10 years or, you know, go back 30 years or whatever. You know, the workforce is is just going to be constantly changing and adapting to whatever's going on in the world and new technologies and things like that. So before we had analytics, um, really, you know, your generation is a way to categorize oh, we're millennials or we're Generation X or Y or so. And there certainly are differences inside of those generations. But I think the opportunity is that workforce analytics gives you a way to brilliantly categorize beyond somebody's age and when they were born. Um, And so that we don't need to, we can still certainly, and it helps, you know, in terms of talking and things to to talk about sort of what category are you in. But, um, you know, like Jordan said, um, you know, in terms of uh, customization, I think workforce analytics really, and, and the predictive workforce analytics work that we do enables you to actually deliver mass customization. So we don't just say, here's the experience for the millennials, and boom, you know, one. Um, but if I'm at Nestle or other large or small organization, you are probably going to have, um, you know, multiple people of multiple ages. And I think analytics really opens up that opportunity. So um, 
maybe it's a little provocative for me to say, you know, in terms of millennials, but it's just like I, I think we can actually be smarter about it and um, um, use analytics to help with that whole discussion as well. Thank you, Greta. Appreciate that. Mick Collins, love to hear your two cents or $10 or whatever you got in your back pocket on this one. Talk to me, please. It's interesting. I think that every workforce analytics presentation you see today must seemingly include two things. The first is a reference to Moneyball, and the second is a voluminous amount of demographic data, uh, often uh, predicting the end of the world. I think there's a word of caution here in that the purpose for me of workforce analytics in many cases is to challenge assumptions, challenge those myths that we see within our workforce, uh, and really segment our old find uh, critical populations with some level of, uh, of similarities that we can change their performance around. And I think there's a danger in saying, for example, that all millennials, all millennials excuse me, want more feedback. I think in many cases mm-hmm. we would say we all want more feedback. There may be certain characteristics of certain millennials that fit actually better with Gen Y or Gen X um, or with older employees, and we need to find those employees and find what makes them tick uh, and give them the opportunities to be successful. Um, I do think, though, with demographics, for me, when I look at at demographic change, uh, it comes with the freedom of movement and globalization. So I think analytics can give us better visibility into how people uh, in the furthest corners of the world approach their work. So, for example, what makes a USA manager tick may be very different to what makes somebody in China um, be engaged with their work. I think that's where I see workforce analytics having the biggest impact, but we do have to go beyond the headlines. It's not always about the millennials. It's not always about an aging workforce. It's about what's the issue within your own organization that you're looking to solve for. Thank you, Mick. I really enjoyed your comment about it has to include a reference to Moneyball. And yes, very interesting. I've, I've tweeted it for the, for the ages. Thank you all for entertaining my question. I appreciate that. And now, Greta Roberts, I'm going to take it back on track. I'm looking at, uh, oh, you have so much information you sent me before. Let's see now. Uh, we're talking about data-based, and there's a hyphen in the data-based workforce decision-making. So let's talk about this one, Greta, um, line of business. That's what we always want to talk about. To accelerate data-based workforce decision-making, HR needs to work more closely with the line of business that they support to ask the question, what business challenges are you having with your employees? Can you pull this apart for us, please, Greta, and then we will welcome Mick's comments and Jordan's as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um I can't tell you the number of HR people that I've spoken to um, that I say, well, you know, which business units or line of businesses do you support? They tell me manufacturing or sales or whatever it is. And then I say, great, what workforce-related issues, you know, what are their goals, um, in, you know, in this department um, for this year? What are, their, what are their goals? Blank face. I have no idea. Um, mm. You know, well, what are they trying to accomplish this year that's different? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, well, what, you know, what business challenges are they having today that are really related to their workforce? I don't know. And so there's a lot of talk that I hear in HR about how they want to be aligned with the business goals of the businesses that they, thought, you know, that they work with. But you ha- in order to be aligned, you have to act, you know, actively engage and go in and say, okay, I'm here from HR. Whether I can help you solve it or not, let me get curious and let's talk about how are you measured, what are you trying to accomplish for the organization, what are your goals, and then what what of the challenges that you have there relate to the workforce. And I think one of the things that 
um, we try to, and I try to promote a lot when we're out there, when we think about workforce analytics, it's not just HR data and it's not HR analytics um, because most of the workforce actually works outside of HR. They work in, you know, they work in manufacturing and they work as managers and they work um, on contact centers and they work, you know, in all kinds of other places. Only a small subset actually work in HR. And so back to an earlier point about, well, where is all the interesting data being generated related to the workforce? Most of the super interesting data that's generated is generated out in the line of business. And so I just see that that's part of the disconnect is that HR, you know, is not working closely enough with the line of business to, A, either look at line of business data, um, talk about what their line of businesses are trying to accomplish, or even to try to understand what workforce challenges they have. I just feel that that's a really big disconnect out there. Very interesting. It, it, Greta, just before I get Mick and Jordan in on this, it's because they, they aren't on a talking basis with the line of business is that they don't have lunch together. They don't sit in the same building. They don't know how to email each other. Nobody told them. It wasn't in the handbook when they became HR. How come? Why not? a great question. I think one thing goes back to um, what Jordan had said, which is I think the relationship has largely been process-oriented. You know, how many new people do you need to hire? How many open headcounts do you have? Um, are you having any, you know, benefits issues? Very process-oriented. And I think the people, you know, in HR, many of them didn't sign up to be in HR to be an analytics person. And, it, you know, an analytics person is kind of different than, you know, somebody that's really focused on, you know, processes and things like that. So the question is, you know, we either need to teach HR, you know, or provide, you know, human resources, and we can do this. You know, these are questions you always want to ask when you go in and you talk to somebody in a line of business. These four things, just find them out. Um, Or begin to, I think there's a new kind of person also beginning to be hired into HR that has more of that kind of curiosity about, um, you know, really trying to understand the line of business there. So I think it comes from a lot of the roots, you know, that, that, you know, HR just being really an operational organization that puts together a lot of compliance and uh, benefits and uh, those sorts of things. And it's moving into a, a different kind of relationship. So I think they talk. I just think they talk about different things. Aha. Maybe they're having too many lunches or too many glasses. We'll move on. Mick Collins, what are your thoughts about this very provocative and maybe a little touchy question uh, that that I asked Greta and that she came up with the answer? They're just not asking the right questions. They don't know how to communicate from HR to line of business. What are your thoughts, Mick? Well, let's go back to the very start. You mentioned the breadcrumbs analogy in Hansel and Gretel. My question really is about whether HR is leading the business through the use of analytics or whether HR is following behind the business. Uh, I do think in some cases that HR is asking good questions uh, and the business is not sure how to respond. Um, But I did have a customer of mine I've worked with for a number of years and we were talking about the use of analytics around the organization and the director of HR said simply, we can't keep asking them what they want. We've given them headcount. All they ask for is headcount. So it's about managing expectations. If all we're providing is transactional reports, in many cases, leaders don't know what to ask for. Many of our leaders today have an MBA. They take extensive courses in finance, for example. But how many hours do they spend on talent management or analytics for talent management within those courses? I do think it's HR's responsibility to take the lead on this and tell the business what we think are the right five or ten analytics, for example, that we should pursue and have the business be able to react back to that. And for any HR professional, 
they should be able to go to their, their company's quarterly earnings call, for example, and identify the top 10 strategies or the top five risks and start to work back with that and understand as Greta talked about what the people implications or the people drivers of those might be. So I believe we have to have a point of view and walk into the room and say, these are the five things, for example, we're going to focus on based on our understanding of the business and have leaders react to that versus asking them, what do you think? And potentially getting those blank faces. Thank you. Blank faces and blank stares, perhaps. Jordan Petman, love to get your thoughts on this. A lot of good conversation going on. Jordan? So there are two things that, that leap to mind to me. One is that Greta and Lewis Carroll will probably have been great mates. Um, in that, I think the point that, that Greta makes really nicely is that, you know, we don't necessarily know which direction the business is going in, so we don't necessarily know what analytics or reporting or data we need to help them to understand what people and resources and skills they need in order to get to that destination. So I think there's that whole, if we don't know where we're going, then you know, I can give you any old report and it'll tell you how good your HR is. Um, but I think the other thing that leaps to mind for me across this whole organization is that old adage that, you know, what gets measured gets managed. And I think that that is kind of wrong nowadays. It's more often what gets measured in HR and reported is what we can count. And I really think that as HR professionals, we have a responsibility to our businesses to help them to think about what they're managing and then measure that and measure the success on what they're managing towards. Because oftentimes, I think as we talked, a headcount report doesn't actually tell us anything about what the business is managing towards. Um, Ergo, what gets measured is not necessarily what is managed. Thank you. And I'm going to give another version of that, Greta, before I have you wrap this one up. It actually was not Einstein, but William Bruce Cameron, who said, not everything that counts, not everything that can be counted counts, not everything that counts can be counted. So, Jordan, you okay with that one? Amen, sister. Amen, sister. Somebody used that quote on one of our shows last week. It was probably a financial excellence show. And I said, oh, I got to look that up. But it actually is William B. Cameron or W. Bruce Cameron. There you go. Greta, I'd love to have you wrap up this one while we're doing some quote sidelines here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The thing that I think, and I agree with both Mick and and Jordan, really great conversation. I think that... um, that the first thing, and we're talking about work, workforce analytics, and one of the methodologies out there that a lot of data scientists use is something called CRISP, C-R-I-S-P. And the, the best of breed way to approach workforce analytics is not to start with the data that you're measuring, but to start with, well, what problem do we even have? Because you can go out there fishing and just saying, oh, we have, you know, 30,000 pieces of data and fields and things like that. So, ooh, this one looks interesting. But who cares? If it's interesting or if you have a pile of data but there's nothing meaningful in there, who cares? And so that's why we sort of advocate for start with, forget about whether you can solve it or not or even if you know what to do with it, but at least begin talking about what is the business problem that you're having? Don't feel like HR necessarily has to solve it, but you could then go back to, let's say, your workforce analytics people, if you're an HR person or even a marketing analytics or whomever, um, and say, hey, they're having a lot of you know, issues with um, you know, people coming in late or whatever, and even forget about whether it can be solved with analytics or not. Just begin with documenting. You've got to start with the problem first. And then the next step is see what data supports the problem. So 
And the other thing is in terms of measuring, um, and the quote that you had, Bonnie, which I think is a really good one, is once you kind of you know, have identified what the business problem is um, and you have the data there to support that, then you can also not only document it, but you can incentivize the things that, you know, once you've documented it and you see that the data is there, go beyond that so you can build programs to incent people so that that will actually happen too. So um, just some thoughts I had. Thank you, Greta. And I want to get this right. You said, Chris, Comprehensive Human Resources Integrated System. Is that correct? Um, C- uh, C-R-I-S-P. Oh, CRISP. All right. I was trying to look it up. What's, what is that? What do those stand for? Um, let me look it up for you here. You look it up while I'm going to move on because we're almost yeah. out of time. You can tell me later. Uh, Mick Collins, I want to get to something. We're almost out of time. But, Mick, there's something interesting in your notes here that I think Bear is mentioning. I'll, I'll just let you comment on it, and then we'll go very quickly to our predictions round. Mick, you say in a recent survey, 61% of respondents from EMEA said yes to making workforce metrics a mandatory part of public companies' reports to regulatory agencies. Help analysts and investors and investors measure an intangible asset. Can you just tell us for one minute about where this report came from or what it means, Mick? Yes, I mean, so this data is taken from a success factors survey we ran last year in which we asked uh, HR leaders in North America and Europe to give us their view on whether we think that workforce analytics data should be made more public or even standard as part of uh, companies' quarterly and annual releases. And Europe, overwhelmingly compared to America, said yes, uh, companies should have standardized metrics or analytics that they include on their people, on their human capital, as part of these financial reports. Uh, And this movement has been underway for, in my mind, 13 or 14 years. It started back in 2003 in the UK with the Accounting for People Task Force, and they looked to include workforce data in financial reports. And ultimately, the proposals were shelved. It was felt there was too much red tape and too much uncertainty and lack of definitions for the metrics uh, that prevented them from being implemented. But I think investors now are looking for more visibility. They understand the value of strong leadership teams, a good bench, a good number of high performers, you know, managing labor costs effectively in those industries where costs are paramount to be managed. They're looking for more insights. And at this point in time, I think we're, we're hiding the ball in some respects. We don't give out an awful lot of information publicly, whether to analysts or even on career websites. If you go to most companies' career websites, there's no data about their workforce. Uh, We talk about competitive pay and good opportunities for career development, but in most cases, you don't see any data that supports that. So at least from this survey, HR leaders in Europe were saying we want to have more publicly available data on companies to see how they're managing their talent. Thank you, Mick. Very good insights, and uh, that's a reality check on what investors are needing and agencies are needing, kind of getting out of our own way and looking at the much bigger picture. So it's time for predictions. I only have about 30 seconds left for each of you, but I know you're going to have something great. Jordan Petman in Switzerland at Nestle. I'll give you 30 seconds. Look in that crystal ball at Nestle's. is probably chocolate with crystal in the middle. I'd love to see it or have it or something. Jordan, tell me, what do you see in terms of workforce analytics, uh, focus on 2020 or any time in that Range, 30 seconds, Jordan Petman, go. I think given the advent of things like cognitive computing, um, the conversation that we'd be having in 2020 is going to be far more around how HR practitioners help the business to understand the output of real statistical modeling and really fast-moving cognitive computing solutions 
to predict what we need to do next with the workforce. Thank you very much. And I'm going to say how crisp that was. Greta, here's a lead-in for you for your predictions. Greta told me in a chat here on Skype, crisp is cross-industry standard process for data mining. There you go, crisp. Thank you, Greta. I said it. You don't have to tweet it. Greta, predictions, 30 seconds, go. Yes, 2020 or beyond. I agree with Jordan. Um, workforce analytics and predictive analytics, it's not it's not a trendy thing that's going to go away. And we may not in the workforce area or in HR haven't figured it all out yet, but there's too much activity going on. And even more importantly than that, there's too much ROI from people that really are, you know, doing an effective job of workforce analytics or predictive uh, workforce analytics. So it's not going to go away soon. So I agree with Jordan. Um, it's, it's, it's staying and it's moving to predictive because that's where really a lot of the high ROI is. Thank you very much. That's what we want to talk about. And Mick Collins, my goodness, Mick, I can give you about 45 seconds because they were so tight with their predictions. So we got a little left over time. Mick, talk to me. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll try to use that uh, time as best I can. <laughs> I think by 2020, first of all, every company will have a chief data strategy officer, uh, a board level and an executive committee level officer specifically involved in determining data strategy for the organization. And the workforce analytics will fit neatly under that person's portfolio. And we'll move from having these ad hoc projects on the side of somebody's desk to truly having artificial intelligence in HR in which workforce analytics is just part of the way in which we do business. And furthermore, the analytics then are devolved down to the level of the employee. That it's not just about HR using data or business leaders using data, but by 2020, I'd expect that every employee, like having their own technology at work today, has access to data to help determine their career paths to make better decisions about what learning to do, all of that kind of information. So uh, I fully expect that employees have more access to data uh, than they do today under the guise of the chief, chief data strategy officer. Thank you very much. Great predictions. I think we're, Michael, do we have a little extra time? I know we started a little bit late. I've been, oh, we, four minutes left. Oh, my goodness. And I rushed their predictions. I don't know whether to go back for another predictions round. I, I have a, uh, let's do a bonus question. Uh, Jordan Pettman, I'll circle back to you first and let's take 30 seconds each and see if we still have more time left over. Jordan, workforce analytics, workforce analytics, it's six syllables. Do you think we'll come up with another term for that by 2020? Will it be known as, I don't know, the Petman A or the, the Greta Roberts B or the, the Mick, just the Mick, maybe it's just, or the Collins method, I don't know. So Jordan, uh, you don't have to take it upon yourself for your naming, but what do you think we'll be calling workforce analytics something a little simpler to say? Look, I'd love to think that we were calling it the Jordan Petman method, but um, <laughs> I suspect, I mean, this happens in HR all the time, right? Like things get relabeled to, to all kinds of things. I would actually like to think and echo Mick's comments before that workforce analytics ceases to be a function and a thing and it's actually just an implicit way that as HR organizations and functions we approach work. Um, if we don't get that far, then I think I'd like to see it move to something like people or people in organizations analytics because um, I think it's more about people with the advent of, of new technologies and the Internet of Things. Um, but it's more about our people in our organization in the workforce. Thank you. We just talked about on a different show yesterday, we talked about the Internet of Self. That's a whole other topic. Greta Roberts, quickly, will workforce analytics be called that, or do you think it'll be the Greta Roberts, get a Greta Roberts guru method? I don't know, the GR, just GRA. 
What do you think? Definitely the uh, GRA for sure. Um, no. <laughs> um, I think that today we think of workforce analytics and predictive analytics as being special. And we have to call it out and go, oh, we're using a predictive model here or we're using analytics there. But what we see is that it's going to be pervasive, just like with your car. You know, if you have your anti-locking brake, anti-lock braking system, which is really a predictive technology in there, it doesn't pop up a graph for you that's written in Tableau or something and say, would you like to brake this way or that way? Because there's a model here and there's a couple of ways that we do it. It's just in the future and not too distant, and we're certainly working on this, it just becomes part of the system and what the system does. And so because it's new and it's maturing, right now we know where the model is or the three models. But I think pervasive is a really good, um, you know, uh, a, a good word to think about. So we, and we need to get to where it's just pervasive and, you know, a recruiter will say, oh, you know, this person has a high probability of, um, this candidate has a high probability of making their sales numbers and this one doesn't. And you ju- it just gets to be part of what you do. Thank you, Greta. And Mick Collins, we are seriously out of time. So I'm just going to say again. it's going to be the Mick Collins method. I just decided. I, we'll just have to have to go with that one. Thank you, three of you. I really appreciate it. And a shout-out to Kouros Bezad at SAP. Kouros, you did a marvelous job getting three wonderful thought leaders together, and I appreciate it. Shout-out to series sponsor, Patty Fletcher. Shout-out to Michael, our engineer here on the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'll talk to you Next week, next Tuesday, we'll be live at 10 a.m. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 